a new variation there on the intro. You've come to know and love. Folks, I hope you're well. Uh, it is Tuesday morning. The bird is back. It is 10 a.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. here in Great Britain. We have quite the day ahead here at LNG headquarters. It's been quite the week, and it's Tuesday. But nonetheless, I hope you are well. Um, lots of stuff to talk about today. Some very different uh, review style format. And by different, I mean different to usual. I mean different in the sense that one segment is going to be um, you know, quite distant from the other. But that is what the Burt is all about. Let me tweet some, some gimmicks here. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying the increased... Uh, visuals that Confirm Shoot has been been arming these shows with. I, I, you know, I think, I think Shoot's always kind of, you know, allowed us to stand out with those. But I think as of late, he's really leveled up. So, um, let me tweet this. Okay. Hang on a second, folks. So, as you don't know, today we're going to review Raw. Well, we're going to recap Raw. Review's a strong word. Uh, and we're also going to discuss the uh, King of DDT finals from a couple weeks back, the semi-finals and the final itself, not the whole show. I mean, you know, they're, they're obviously the kind of, you know, the, the, the meat of the, of the program. Because we had a conversation about it before, I remember someone mentioned in the chat. Um, all right, let me tweet this. Boom, let's, let's get this thing on the road. Here we go. The bird, as soon as in the chat, so um, My arm is, I can't. Like, move my arm? Is that bad? That seems bad, right? I woke up unable to move my arm. I can't get it. Like, I'm here. It's about as far as I can go. Is that bad? Is this for the love of the game, like Codeman Rhodes at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view? Is that what I'm doing here? Am I fighting uphill against a, a traumatic injury, or am I simply um, getting old? I don't know. But my arm is fucked. I can't really move. So, you know, doing a lot of uh, cross-screen motion here. I've got to be going with the backhand. But nonetheless, we do have a lot to get into. Um, good Lord. What have we got here? I see some Dolph talk. We'll get to that. Um, my God. Spin some dough. God bless. Hope, you, hope you're doing well, Bill. JJ, I'm good. How are you? Um, uh, count me in on Takeshita beating Mox. Very interesting. I, I see uh, the the infamous, or just famous, depending on who you ask, uh, David Meltzer. Um, I saw he was playing around with it. I don't know how I feel. Um, I personally would probably have Moxley win, but then, you know, shoot an angle of some kind to avoid it just being wrestling for the sake of wrestling. And what I would probably do is I'd probably come out of it with, like, so maybe you do something where heels attack and Takeshita actually like, because he's already out there, helps Mox out a little bit and you can do something like you can do something with that. I really like the idea. I just want to shoot about it. But I really like the idea of Takeshita kind of being one of Kingston's like two on-screen friends. Um, and them two teaming up on occasion, I think would be fucking awesome. Something that I think is beneath... Um, I think it's beneath... Takeshita in the grand scheme of things. But I think it could be a, a decent way to get him on TV a lot. How do we feel about him and Ortiz being like a kind of just a, like not full-time team because I don't want to have like a name or whatever. 
but like something that you kind of use to get him on TV and winning a lot. Because I've talked about on every show I've done for last week, like the the tag team division isn't as steep as you may think. And if you look at like the babyface side, any team with Takeshita, I mean that's a slight of Ortiz, but you get what I'm saying. Any team with Takeshita feels like it because it's something you could push, you know. Um, I don't know. I'm intrigued, like what you guys think. If I'm nuts on this, like I, I'm kind of interested by the idea of King, like put, pairing those guys up, like two of the few guys on the show he likes. You know, it'd be interesting. So, and again, if you think it's beneath, beneath Takeshita, I think you're probably right. I just, I do want to stress that I would be pushing and featuring the team because I don't really like the options I have on the babyface side. I mean, we've talked about this a million and one times, but just for the sake of conversation, FTR obviously is golden. Swerving Our Glory feels like a team that's very much approaching its final days as a team. The Lucha Bros, in a lot of ways, feel more valuable now as like a trio with pack or a single or two singles wrestlers in some ways. Um, and then you have the Acclaimed and like Silver and Reynolds and like Takeshita on, on his own, I think, kind of flies above that um, that crop, but... Yeah, I don't know. Um, and, like, yeah, for sure, I'm with this. I just, I think Eddie's probably, to be totally honest with you guys, like, I think there's a real chance that Eddie's the world champ in about three months. Um, I think there's, like, a real chance that what they do is Eddie wins the belt and he's the champ when Punk comes back. Now, it all depends when Punk is going to be back. If Punk's back by All Out, it changes the whole timeline. But I definitely think we're looking at a current landscape where it's very feasible that Eddie's winning the belt off fresh. Um, to explore that a little bit before we get into today's topics, I I think the timeline would probably be, and again, this is assuming that Punk isn't around until like later this year, like October, November time. You would probably do a deal where like the barbed wire probably should be the blow off. I don't think it actually will be because Jericho, but it probably should be. And then you say you do like the Akiyama match at All Out in the spot that Moxley Kojima was in last year. Second, third on the card and just like an awesome 12-minute deal. Maybe it'd be better, I think, than that. But you get my point. And then you kind of set the stage, you know. Like, I, I'm intrigued by this. I could equally see the blow-off of Jericho being All Out and then um, Arthrash being the Akiyama match. So, we'll see. I don't know. Um... What was I going to... Um, it's not painful while I sit here now. When I get to, like, here, it's immediately painful. That seems bad, right? I should probably get... If I didn't have eight shows today, I'd probably get that checked out. But fuck it. Let's figure it out. All right. Um. Okay, what else we got here before we get to Raw? I agree with this. I think it'd be good to get him some wins. I like that even beating Gresham. I think Claudio's going to get that win. Um... So, I think the way I would personally go, it does sound like a nerve issue, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> the way I would personally go is, I would, I think I'd have Joe put over Takeshita for the TV, which if we're really being honest, and don't tell anyone, because I like Jonathan Gresham, but you know that's really a much bigger deal than beating Jonathan Gresham. Because um, I don't really see any reason to put the TV title on Jay Lethal. I think he's going to win it, don't get me wrong, but I, I just don't I don't see who that really does anything for. It's so fucking boring. He had that belt eight years ago, you know what I mean? Um, so Takeshita beating 
Jawai thing would be like a really cool moment. They shake hands and it's like Ring of Honor's in your hands, brother. Rock and roll. I think that'd be fucking awesome. So match should be good too. You're only like 10 minutes out there. Uh, I did not see Lacey's turn. I, the one show that I have yet to like a tackle is SmackDown, which I just can't. I, it just fucking terrifies me. I've got to be honest. I can't do it. Like I look at it and I can't even approach it. And I think you guys know I'm pretty open to watching bad wrestling. I, I For whatever reason, I, partly the Friday night thing is a big part of it. Like by the time I've done the grin, I need Saturday to just be nothing wrestling, you know. Um, thoughts on the Natty Live stuff. I mean, the only real story there is like perceived unprofessionalism. And because it's Natty, like Natty's got many uh, faults that we can get into, but I don't think anyone would ever accuse of being an unprofessional. So therefore, to me, it's like a no story, you know. Um, if it was someone new, it would be a big story because you'd be unsure of them. But Natty's, I think, rep kind of speaks for itself, whether you think she's good or not, which... Um, so, yeah, some weird shit probably happened. I mean, it's, not, it's, it's saying you'll forget. You'll forget before long. I, I, I wouldn't worry about it. All right. It is July 12th. It's Tuesday. We're going to do some raw talk. Pop. Um, I would like to say that if my analysis, you know, uh, is, is lesser than, than usual, uh, please know that I have been very busy, had to skip some things on this show because there's one thing in life that I'll prioritize above all else, which is Better Call Soul. And if you saw that, God bless. I think it's the greatest television show ever made. I really do. Obviously, be like, you know, behind, you know, uh, MLW Fusion. Um, I love the idea of the different promotions. I think it's like something that they probably should have been getting weird and creative with a while ago. But hopefully it's now because the pandemic and stuff's better. Like, hopefully they can do it regularly. Um, it's a way of making stuff exist in your universe. It's awesome that hardcore fans like us can go and seek out a Thunder Rosa match on Wrestle Universe or whatever it may be. But having connective tissue from within your program and the idea that if you watch all the program we do, you know exactly what's going on. You know, I think I think that's a really, really good fit. I think it's very, very smart. Because listen, that audience is bigger. People can say I want about dark. And I think we all have at some point or another. Um to answer this, almost certainly so, yeah. To guess to be the most complete under 30 wrestler. Uh Dark's a whole discourse, but like there's still like a couple hundred thousand people that watch that show every week, which is a huge amount of people for you know, a match from um from Tokyo Joshi Pro or Rev Pro. <laughs> like it's that's a big deal, definitely. So I, I love it. I hope I hope the Rev Pro match looks good. I have my doubts, but you know, at least we know the uh the Rosa one will. All right. Let's uh, let's talk Monday Night Raw. In fact, no, I can't do that yet. I have other stuff I have to talk about. Oh, yeah. So in about an hour and 45 minutes, I'll be back on familiar stomping grounds for me. I'll be returning to um, the Fightful Overbook channel, which used to be the Fightful Distraction channel, which used to be before that the Fightful MMA channel. Um, and I will be discussing professional wrestling on the program that is known as pillar to post um i forget who else on the show i apologize but i'll be on that at noon eastern so if you would like to see myself and the great jeremy lambert back on screen um then please join us over there so i need i need to remember to promote that so um okay so that's the thing that's happening after this. Also, the 31 is tonight of Alex Palowski is the penultimate episode of the season. 
Um, you may find out today who the final guest is, but you know, he's Bob's been figuring out the format. He's trying his best over there, so he's got Alex today. Okay, let's talk about Raw finally. Finally, um, watch this more clip heavy than I than I usually would. Usually, I'd kind of just let, let it live, but. I watched most of this. Uh, they opened with Brock. There was very late pyro, which was funny. Brock is in an interesting point in his career, an awesome point in his career, honestly. He's like a – his promos are like a a country singer talking in between songs, you know, keeping the people entertained. Obviously, the, the kind of quirky part of that is that he's like a 300-pound, like, mutant, and he looks like a fucking science project, um, which is a hilarious combination of factors. Um, Paulie interrupted he did a remarkable job of why I still think his mission impossible and I think he failed ultimately because I don't think it's possible but it, he did a great job of like his approach to this promo was this match is last man standing and while Roman has made you know a, a two year title reign out of beating guys in athletic professional wrestling matches Brock and I spent 20 years you know, um, decimating and dominating. So in a last man standing match, Brock Lesnar is the odds on favorite. You know, he's like, if you have to put money on it, you got to put money on Brock Lesnar. And I'm like, I'm just popping at the, like him thinking about this as a promo, you know, how do I do it? How do we frame this as being new? How do we frame this as being fresh? It's like, that's how we're going to do it. I don't know, man. Sure. Um, he tried his best. He's an all time great promo, but there's only so many ways you can, you can frame this match up. I think at this point, but, Nonetheless, this was vaguely entertaining, and then Fury came out, and uh, God, man, I remember, uh, I remember pitching, not pitching, God forbid, but I remember kind of predicting that Seth freaking Rollins was going to be like the whole build to the Roman match, like he was just going to be on every TV show, like threatening to cash in, and when I did it, it it felt like it was a horrible idea, like something that would really ruin it for me. And they've just done the exact same thing with Fury, which is like just awful. Like no one take whether you even like Fury, Fury or not, he clearly doesn't belong in this picture. That's almost the point. So it's just so prelim and it undercuts everything. It's it's lame. But there was something good that came of it here, as he kind of sent the Alpha Academy boys after Brock. And listen, Brock has been back in professional wrestling now for over ten years. I know I shouldn't still be surprised, but fuck. When that dude explodes, it's like, there's honestly no one else like him ever. Like, he's freakish, dude. Like, the, the way he, he can just snap into motion, you know? Like, it's simple stuff, too. Like, he, he threw this big clothesline like coming off the ropes to Otis and, like, just fucking levered him. He was throwing Chad and Otis around. He was just, he is striking athletically. Dude. He can do stuff. And again, what makes him so um, unique, and I mentioned this with Takeshita, is it isn't what he's doing, right? Like he's doing this, you know, power move to Otis. That's pretty cool, but, you know, there's strong guys in the promotion. That ain't it. It's just like the way he does it with such ease and like velocity, you know? Um, It's fucking wild. Dude's an animal. He he really is. So the angle was, uh, the Heyman part of it was, was good, I guess. And the, the physicality was great. 
uh, Fury was in it, which was a shame, but it was fine. People love seeing Brock, right? He's what he is. Okay. Um, we got a Finn, Finn Balor, Rey Mysterio match. Um, good Lord, Takeshita and Brock, that'd be saying, wouldn't it? Especially if Heyman, like, gave him the cosign, you know? Um, Finn Balor, Rey Mysterio match, which I've been very much hoping we would get. We got it here. It was a little bit, in fact, a lot of bit messed up by ads that kind of busted this one up in terms of enjoying it. Um, we, we went into the break of like a brawl and came back in a match. And then we went in in the middle of, um, like Ray started his comeback and we went into it. Um, he did do an accent of some sort. I don't know if he did it the whole time or he just did it for his opening line as like a pop. I don't really know. I'm not sure. Well, I have to ask Bob, uh, who takes me, oh my God, this Brock Alpha Academy segment, which popped me. Um, yeah, Finn and Ray. Unfortunately, I thought ads kind of kind of took this out of its groove, but you get what you get, I suppose. Um, Finn very much feels like he is working a character or playing a role in this particular spot. Um, I love him. I like watching him wrestle. It may simply be the fact that he's dressed the way he is. I don't know, but like, I find it very very difficult. Um, to, to like adjust to what he's doing here. He's doing, he appears to have like ramped up his like body language and facial expressions too. And he's doing like this very sort of cartoonish villainy. Um, it's unfortunate. It ruins it slightly for me. I mean, I love watching the guy wrestle, but there's definitely this sense to me that he's not totally comfortable with what he's doing. Maybe I'm looking into it and seeing that it's not there, but that's the way I feel anyway. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, his work's still very good. He, he got some heat here on uh, on Ray, worked his back, and then he later did the knee. There was a great cutoff where Ray went up top and he, like, swept his legs out. And Ray hit hard. For a second, I thought he was hurt, honestly. It looked great. Um, but he made a comeback. He did a hurricane runner off the top at one point. Look, man, Ray's – I mean, we, we talk about it on every show. So, you know, it is what it is. But um, – but it, it's always striking some of the stuff he can do. I believe he's forty-seven now, and I know we all make the joke about like stem cells and like whatever. But it's still it's freakish, seriously. Um, in the end, Finn got the clean win. I would like an extended cut of this match at some point. It appears very likely that as Andrew mentions, we're going to get the uh, the Dominic turn, the Dominic angle, and you know whatever that does for you. I don't know. I mean, I. I thought Dominic looked pretty good last week on Raw or a couple weeks ago, whenever it was, they did that tag match. And then there was this clip, I don't know if you guys saw on the house show, Luke, where, fuck, he looked like he was out there, like a, he was sleepwalking. It was terrible. Um, and he was just doing simple stuff. He had, like, feet in the corner. Him doing, like, a... Him being, like, the whipping boy of this group doesn't do anything for me, to be totally honest. This group doesn't do anything for me. Um... Allergies, my bad, guys. Um, this group doesn't do anything for me without Rhea. It's just one of those deals where I just would rather Finn be doing something else. Um, so, yeah. Uh, as for would it be easier for him to work as a heel, almost certainly not. Um, like, because he's going to have to like, lead matches and fill in gaps with heat and stuff and command the setting and, and he's going to decide the pace a lot of the time. Um, he's probably going to be in an even worse spot. It wouldn't surprise me if him and Finn just work tags all the time, which is, again, all that does is make me wish Finn was doing something else. So 
It's a, it's a terrible shame. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do with this. I'd probably end it, to you. But the match was nice. I love watching these guys wrestle. I just, you know, I think both guys could be in more generous, more befitting roles, you know. Anyway, we then went to Carmella and Bianca. They popped me huge with this stuff. You know, last week I talked about how I'm worried about SummerSlam involving Carmella because, you know, like, they didn't book the match last week for this week. And then they just, like, announced it. It was, like, 10 minutes before the show, say, an hour before the show. It's like, what? How do they not know they're going to do these things? It's just it really is puzzling to me. Anyway, so they're doing this match, and it was better than the pay-per-view match. Um, they actually have some chemistry. It's just the heat is always an issue. Heat was an issue on this whole show, frankly. Um, and then they did this finish with Becky, who was out there beforehand, where she cost Bianca the match, and she lost by countout. And it's like, so what are we doing here? Are we building to a triple threat? And, like, that's what this is? Or are we doing, like, another Carmella match next week to fill the TV time so then we can focus on Becky? Or, as someone suggested to me uh, earlier, are they doing a five-way with Alexa and Asuka in there, too? Because on commentary, they were talking about how they want, like, they want the title. This all feels very overcomplicated. Just do the Becky and Bianca match and leave it. And if you don't want to do it at, Cash, at Clash of the Castle, if you don't want to do it at SummerSlam because you want to save it for Clash of the Castle, do Alexa or Asuka. You know? you know? This thing that wrestling is doing now across the board where it's like this bizarre, like we will make up for it by just putting more people in the match. Like, no. Just fucking get creative, you know? It's like, okay, we haven't got Rhea. We wanted to save the Becky match for Clash of the Castle. What should we do? All right, well, cool. Luckily, you have Asker and Alexa Bliss on your roster. Is it ideal because they're babyface matches? Not really. But is it better than doing a fucking five-way? Yes. Because you can tell interesting stories, you know? Maybe Asker starts working with an edge again and, get, and gets a little streak going on the show. And it's like, oh, is Asker back? You know, she kind of cuts out the, the shtick a little bit and gets more serious. Maybe with Alexa, you tell a story about the fact that SummerSlam will be four years, I guess, for four, yeah, four years since she was champ. And you tell that story, and she's kind of desperate. You know, will she will she return to her old ways? Just do a fucking story is what I'm getting at. You know what I mean? Like, if, it is, if the idea is they're going to do a four, uh, a triple threat or a five-way to avoid doing the Becky match, it's so lazy. Now, if this is simply a way to fill another week of TV, then, I mean, sure, if you can't fill two weeks with Bianca and Becky, then God bless. But that stuff really, I find it puzzling. Like, there's... And it's, a, again, let me stress, this ain't just don't, like, AEW's been doing it with their tags recently, where it's like, this just, like, cobble shit together, you know? You could also do this. It's like, just, someone lock in on a story, on, on a narrative, and, like, tell it to me with week to weeks, you know? None of this. Um, my God, I did, like, a fucking rant there, like I was on, like I was on wrestling or something, you know? Res, wrestling Anyway, uh, speaking of horse shit, Tommaso Ciampa wants the spotlight, and he, he said he he wants everyone to see him, and Miz, everyone sees the Miz. Um, I don't get this at all. There's a big thing. I was talking to Monty about this recently. There's this thing among WWE uh, product that has now trained the fans to believe the same thing. And it's like, everyone has to have like a gimmick, or like a character, you know? 
and like because they've done it for so long they've again they've like trained the audience like that's true so like you ever like what's the character and like to me and call me old-fashioned but if i got tomaso champa on my roster and he's like 40 you know so i'm not gonna push him particularly so oh sweet i have tomaso champa i could just have him as like a upper mid card heel or baby face he wrestles matches you know for some reason, they've seen Tommaso Chan and said he needs to have like a pairing with the Miz. <laughs> it's like, just can we just let some people just be? Not everyone needs to have these kind of weird, um, like side dishes and fucking. It's, I find it to be strange. Like Miz is the Miz. Leave him doing his Miz things, but you don't need to suck someone like Champer in it and then buy. A, in doing so, this feud is actually with AJ because I get they want to do the Logan Paul thing. But that's kind of the point, right? AJ and Logan Paul versus Miz and and Champer, I guess, is a big deal. But then what do you do with Champer? Are they just a team? I don't know. I um, I just I don't think it's a good fit for him. I thought he was kind of bad in this segment. He felt like a guy who was in completely the wrong place. Um, so the match was was fun enough, I guess. The tag match with uh, with Ezekiel in there too. I just you know, I'm not even saying this is a big deal. I, ju I just, I'm always puzzled by this need to put everyone in like something, you know, like some guys can just be wrestlers on the roster. Champer at this point in his life honestly can be. In Kaikou Fiery promos, he'd be good. So um, there you go. Jody, wrestlers from Scotland or Ireland ever used their history, the history of their respective countries of Britain's a tool to heat it up, to heal it up or vice versa. Certainly, yeah. There's a definitely a misconception about this idea that like, you know, um, I mean, honestly, I read it all the time with Drew, like, right, where it's like Drew, oh, like, he's going to be so over, you know, when they come to London. Like, he was just, like, he, the story when they last came to London was they booed him for fucking Roman. Like, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland, Republic of Ireland, of course, isn't, you know, Britain, but you get what I mean. I think to most folks stateside, that's like, we just, they just look at it as a big block. Like, there's more chance you, like, if you come to, you know, if a, a, a Scotsman wrestles in London, there's he's not like a baby face, you know. There's a whole lot of like, as you said, history, but even with it on a sporting vibe, there's like always a fun kind of conflict there, you know. It's a natural thing. So yeah. Even even, you know, it's within Britain, let alone uh you know, the the, the Irish heat, brother, brother. But yeah, I, I think that's always funny to me. The the idea that like you can uh you know, man, when they do when they run Manchester Arena, Drew's going to be fucking over huge. Like, well, I mean, not necessarily, but okay. I mean, I remember reading from the O2 report that the ring announcer, fucking, he like when they're in London, he stressed Glasgow, Scotland. I believe Drew's Glasgow, right? Um, they like stressed it. Like they did like the big reveal. Like he was, he was the hometown. It's like, nah, man, that ain't going to work. That's not how it works. Anyway, nonetheless, uh, the aforementioned Asker and Alexa are now tag team. This rules, but is definitely not going to be like rewarding in any way. But if you did it, it would be fucking incredible because just putting those two fan bases together sounds like one of the funniest science experiments you could ever do. Um, there is something going on. All right. I ain't trying to like scoop or dig or any of that stuff. I don't really care. 
at this point because, you know, people will get the story eventually, whatever it is. I can't overstate this to you guys. The Alexa story has been one of the weirdest things of WWE's last year because there is so clearly other stuff going on. And I'm not saying that because I know it for a fact. I'm saying that because I want you to remember I said this many, many times, both on the distraction and here, when it happens and when it, you know, always the thing. It is fucking insane, dude. For those of you who don't know what's happening, every time Alexa S was Corey, Corey Graves just talks about how she's like, doesn't care, which, you know, I there may be some truth to it. I'm not sure. But what I'm getting at is it's so clearly fed, you know? It's really strange. There's clearly some sort of push and pull. I actually think in a vacuum, this idea is a fun one because I don't necessarily know what I would do with Asuka and Alexa um, separately at this point beyond what I pitched with Bianca because they've kind of, they're both in that point where they've like, they're established and they've wrestled a lot of the women, but it's kind of, you know, it is what it is. But um, so I think it could be a fun act. I just... It's so clear to me there's some shenanigans, and I, I don't know if, to be quite transparent, I just do not know um, if Alexa is long for WWE at this point. You know, I, I really don't, but we'll see. I think, it'd be a, I think it'd be a fun deal if they were just a tag team, but tag teams of WWE only ends one way. Speaking of such, poor Nikki is... Good Lord, man. I read saying she's 0-15 on the year. Very tough. The Usos are out next. They had to deal with the Street Profits. Um, this involved our truth uh, He wanted to be a referee. Our truth is certainly, um, you know, the uh, he, he's certainly entertaining. This brought out Omos and MVP. They set up a six-man tag. This was fun. I thought it was actually a smart way to overlap some things and feature different guys and keep the profits and the Usos on TV while actually doing other things. Um, you know, and Omos obviously ultimately got the win, so this was fun. Our troops entertaining, genuinely. I'm not even saying that with a slight, you know. Um, yeah, the Bray gimmick is like, that was weird, but like, what I'm really getting at is there's, it's very apparent that there's like a complete and utter um, disconnect between creative and Alexa. Um, and because I and look, this may sound insulting, but I think I mean, please know I mean it as a compliment. I, because I don't think she really gives a fuck. It's quite, um, you know, it's quite aggressively in your face. Once you see it, you'll get what I mean. Um, you know, so we'll see how it goes. Maybe I'm completely wrong. This is always very interesting to me. I don't know if you guys saw it. So I think someone DM'd it to me. I don't know who it was. Maybe I shouldn't credit them in case. Um, but like after Raw, Alexa tweeted, "I'm, I, you know, I'm gonna write a book one day." And I, I, t <laughs> I quote tweeted it with uh, Bob and I doing an emergency live stream for the Bruce burial, and then someone DM me saying, and I, and I like kind of realized I should probably delete it because I don't know, maybe that's closer to the the line than I uh, than I originally anticipated. I don't know, man. It's it's weird. It's very weird. And Asker is a weird one in its own way because they brought her back to feud with Becky, and she just wrestled Becky a lot ultimately lost it's like well now what it's like, i don't know man maybe she shouldn't have come back straight into the future she just got done with two years ago three years ago you know it's like it's strange i think the draft will help in kind of balancing the roster as much as i like this crew i think they're struggling to give them interesting ideas um 
Main event of Raw was really good. You got Fury and Seth up against Bobby and Riddle. Bob Lash is the top babyface on the show. He's really rolling right now. Riddle is super over too. Um, however, this match comes in secondary to the real headline, a very funny headline of that, which was that um, Dolph Ziggler is back. Now, some of you may hear me say that and say, well, what does that mean? I thought he never left, which I will also is what I said. But um, they've just decided he was never around. I'm pretty sure he was in a battle royal about two weeks ago. And I know for a fact he did an angle on TV with Omos. But they just said he's not been on since he lost the NXT title. Um, which is, honestly, I respect it. Um, mostly because it's funny because he's literally been on TV. But even if you go beyond that and look at the core idea itself, the idea is that you're freshening up Dolph Ziggler, which is like, oh, God bless. He is wearing a suit, which is definitely a thing they've had Dolph do before when rebranding him. Again, incredible. Um, they they like did this hilarious reveal where they're in the middle of the match and his music just played. And he walked out and they're like, what's Dolph Ziggler doing? And Corey goes, I don't know, but he's back. That's good news. And then he sat at ringside. This is the first male main event in eight weeks. There you go. That does speak to what the Asuka Becky thing gave them for TV. There's a good stat there from Andrew. Um, Dolph sat at ringside and he watched. And then ultimately he he stopped Fury from cheating and he laid him out after. The baby faces win. We're going into a red hot Dolph Ziggler Fury feud, which should tell you how confident Bruce is on Fury right now because he's done the, the classic break glass in case of emergency. We need time to t- teach Fury what he's doing. Um, they actually opened the house show on Saturday. So I kind of had an inkling they were going to go in this direction. I'm sure the matches will be good. You know, Dolph is such a unfortunate case of just, I don't know, man. It's very difficult. Like, I think very highly of him as a performer. I always have. I think he can give you an awful lot still to this day. I think he proved that with the NXT run, but it's like, man, him on Raw or SmackDown, it just feels like, it just feels like you 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 you're kind of going in circles, and and it's really difficult because when you just say to me we're going to push push Dolph Ziggler, it's like you know what man, do it. I love it, you know. He can talk, he can wrestle, he, he looks the part, do it. But that's kind of looking away from the fact that in actual truth, um, it kind of feels like the the book has been has been wrote on these guys. You know, I I just. I don't think you're ever going to get Dolph to where you want him to be on this show. And, and that's a, a case of like, I ain't here to propose for him to lose their jobs, but like, I think Dolph is someone who would have really benefited from six, seven years ago being somewhere else. Um, Cause then he could have eventually came back and it, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's very difficult for me because I, I actively like Dolph and I'm happy to see him on the show. Like he's one of the guys I'll, I'll look forward to seeing on raw, but you know, maybe that's ridiculous, but it's the truth. On that roster, he is. Um, but it's very hard to get, like, to kind of ignore the reality of the situation. Um, I, I always I always bring this up, too. I don't always bring it up, but I've mentioned it before on the world-famous distraction. I've always loved this what-if also. If you put Dolph in Cody's spot and, like, the difference is there. Like, he certainly doesn't have the, the instincts of Cody in terms of what Cody, like, built, right? Like, Cody, like, latched onto things and built a whole movement. There's no fucking way Dolph does that. But I do think there's a world in which Dolph gets booked in Japan and does, like, fucking amateur wrestling sequences and everyone pops. I don't know. 
is interesting. I seem to remember there being like a story about like the New Japan president back then being being intrigued by Dolph too. I think that was a thing, right? And you name like him and Cesaro as the two guys he'd like. Pop. Yeah, the comedy thing is also a, yeah. That would have been that would have made things less fun, I fear. Which is not really the intention of comedy, but you know. Anyway, uh, Raw had some good wrestling. If you want some good action, there's some good wrestling over there. There was not much particularly um to sink your teeth into from a story perspective, unfortunately, unless the Dolph thing really gets you jazzed up. It was mostly just maintenance. Hopefully in a couple, you know, the next couple of weeks here, SummerSlam build will rev up. Right now it's kind of cold for me. I'm looking forward to creating content around it and I'm looking forward to the show itself because I think it'll be good. But, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think, I think that you've got to do some work, but the show had some nice rest. I don't think it was bad. I think it's a little bit flat. All right. I want to do some some um, some DDT talk now. Now I, I asked for some Wrestle Universe matches to review here on the Burt moving forward, and I got a lot of good suggestions. Uh, some stand within Tokyo Joshi Pro. I got a couple from Noah, from DDT. But I, because this was brought up on the show about a week ago, I believe it was even brought up under the kind of phrasing of uh, Bob would like it, which always pops me. Uh, and we had a feature about it on WrestlePurist, so I was kind of interested in the story to begin with. Um, I, I'm going to start this little process here, something we do throughout the, the weeks, uh, with the King of DDT finals. This was actually for their vacant belt because, um, I don't know if you saw, there was a shoot KO that took out the champion um, at uh, the Cyberfest gimmick, right? Cyberfest, the big show they do, um, which was pretty fucking violent. So a lot going on here, many stakes. We're at Corrigan Hall for both the semi-finals and the final, same night. Um, this got quite a lot of buzz, relative. Um, the final match in particular, but just kind of the what they achieved and the story they told. So let's, let's get into it here. So semi-final, first semi-final, Naomi Yoshimura, Yuki Ueno. Um, for those of you that are unfamiliar with, with either guy, Yoshimura is kind of a, not kind of, he's a powerhouse. Um, Ueno is the online read on him, and I, this is the first time really seeing him like properly. But I've heard about him for for a while, and just through the guise of he's like Kota Ibushi, kind of, um, you know, the second coming of Kota Ibushi is what a lot of people frame him as um, because of his style and just there's obviously some there with the look too. But the style, there is a lot of kind of you know the high flying and such. Um, these fellas used to be a team based on. Uh, what the commentary said. And with, it, with that in mind, they did the classical. And I'm sure you're rolling your eyes just hearing about it, but it may pop you where they went here. They did the classic, like, you know, respectful start, and then someone's going to someone's gonna immediately cut that off, right? Like, you wrestle to the ropes, and on a break, someone punches. They did something that everyone should be stealing and doing, because I have not seen anyone do this in some time. They did the respectful start, wrestle to the ropes, and then immediately pulled the trigger, both of them on the break, and hit each other at the same time. It fucking ruled because what it did was it immediately established how big of a match this was and how big the stakes were. There was not even going to be a pretense or like a, not even a, a phony show of respect here or hesitance. No time for that. Let's get to fighting here. They both threw bombs immediately. It was awesome. The thing was urgent from the outset. Um, it fucking ruled, honestly, using the psychology that this is really what the match was about with, the idea of a semi-final, you know, and, and having to get to the final without taking too much damage, the, the urgency that you that comes with that. Um, awesome. Uh, so so you had that 
from the outset. It was a very high pace. Um, it's a natural style matchup, which helps, right? The the more slender Eno kind of bringing the speed versus Yoshimura's brute force. So he was fucking whacking. I mean, both in this match and the final, he's he's a powerhouse, man. Um, there you go. That's a good call. I'd forgotten this. Hangman and Danielson did something similar, but saw it, both saw it coming and dodged also. There you go. Um, so you had that speed power dynamic, which is always fun. Um, early on, Speed was getting the better of that, and you know, there's a, a big quick start from Ueno, uh, and then Yoshimura took control. There was these, you know, the classic uh, chop exchanges here where like Yoshimura would be totally unmoved, like, he wouldn't even take a step back, he would do the kind of dis- disapproving look at the crowd, like, this dude really chopped me, like, fuck, come on, dude. Um, so you had that, and then whenever he would hit, if Ueno would like fall to his knees or he'd go flying back into the corner, it was great. Um, Throughout the match, every time it felt like he had nothing left, he, you know, Ueno's pure athleticism would keep him floating the thing. Big dive to the floor, which looked spectacular. He had a frog splash too. Um, and then from there, they kind of went back and forth within that style matchup. And it, I just thought it was fabulously well wrestled. Um, there was a couple of big false finishes for um, for Ueno, which people really bit on. And then in the perfect fashion, considering what the match has been about, he was running wild. He's one big move after another, kick out, kick out, and then he runs straight into a lariat. That like it felt like that's the end of that, you know. Um, I have to mention because it became more relevant later. Yoshimura has this 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 like judo throw deal. Some of you in the chat may know what I'm talking about, and it fucking rules. Like dudes coming off the ropes and he just hooks them and launches them with a judo. It's honestly. Like one of the coolest looking things in wrestling. It blew my mind, I'm not gonna lie, because uh, I'm not familiar with Yoshimura. So he did that for, an, for a near four, and then he's finished for the win. This was, you know, like 10 minutes. So they wasn't gonna explore any kind of sweeping ideas beyond the matchup itself. But I just love the psychology of it's a semi final matchup. You know, we need to get to it. We need to try and get through this thing as unscathed as possible. You know, you just kind of trade bombs. It worked perfectly. Um, really good professional wrestling match. Strongly recommend it. Again, 10 minutes, so it won't keep you long. Both guys will wow you in their own way. The work was great. Ueno is genuinely spectacular. The Ibushi comparison is certainly earned. Um, yeah, fucking cool match, man. Really cool. Speaking of such, the other semi-final, Junakiyama, Kazusada Higuchi. Um, obviously, Akiyama's, you know, his body of work speaks for itself. Dude's been churning out classics for like fucking near 30 years now, right? So um, it's always a pleasure to watch him wrestle. Higuchi is someone I was more familiar with the idea of than the the, the reality. Um, so basically, to explain it, for those of you who don't know, you know, if if you if this may intrigue you more than just me talking about the matches, but Higuchi is one of those stories that um, the kind of sports element of Japanese wrestling and DDT certainly has its more outrageous um, pieces. But when when it comes to big time title matches, there's certainly like a sports flavor to it. Higuchi was one of those simple stories that you get of a guy who had fallen short in the biggest match of his career and had failed to win this belt. A year prior, he wrestled Akiyama for the belt when Akiyama was the champion. And not only did he lose, but he was so defeated by the by the whole thing 
that Akiyama requested he put the belt around him, and he did. He just put the belt around him in complete and utter, kind of throwing his hands as I couldn't, you know, I lost, is what it is. Um, so this was really about him overcoming that and kind of proving the, the doubt as wrong in terms of him being able to win the big one. Naturally, he's up against Akiyama again. Um, and so he's wrestling with more than just the man in front of him, basically, is, is the idea. And it's not particularly dramatic. He doesn't look at the camera and sort of do, you know, dialogue or whatever. But it's you can feel it the way he wrestles, and it's awesome. Um, great intensity at the bell. You know, Akiyama is a master of making every single step matter. Um, you know, and, and like it's you could just feel the intensity in the building by the way they set up, and it was perfect. Um, there was this sense, this powerful sense of like kind of nerves and tension to Higuchi, which perfectly encapsulated his whole arc and, um, you know, who he'd been and what this meant for his for his career. It's perfect. Before long, with that in mind, Akiyama, he baited Higuchi out, you know, to the, I think he, like, tripped him to the floor, right, and took control on the floor. Um, Higuchi's selling was great. You know, a really striking, unique way in the... He was a, a, an interesting middle ground to me between pure babyface selling and kind of powerhouse selling where where you're kind of um, like fighting through it in a way you don't want to kind of show, you know, like pride is, is, is kind of keeping you defiant. He was like a marriage of these ideas. There was, the, there was a sense of like, like almost desperation to him body language wise. He was wrestling with this sort of um, now or never attitude, it felt like, you know. At times, there was almost a hopelessness to his facial expressions, which was really uh, striking, I thought. You know, there'd be a couple of times where Akiyama would cut him off and he'd be selling, and it was like, it felt like he just, he was just absolutely desperate to overcome these his own kind of inner turmoil about this matchup, you know. It fucking ruled, man. He really wore the pain of a guy who had fallen short before. And again, um, it wasn't dramatic. If you watch it through that lens, there was something to his demeanor that I found really compelling. Um, nonetheless, that was kind of the idea, and Akiyama took control early. He was fucking immense in control, because of course he was. Just one weapon to another, like transitioning, like a big strike, and he grabbed a guillotine, working with real intent, which again, none of this is a surprise, obviously. But a, a great example, if you guys often hear me whine about, you know, control segments or whatever, like... So many guys now, I'm not doing it used to be better, but it's true. So many guys just pad those those like segments out. Just walk around and fill time because they want to get to the fun stuff. Watch the intent Akiyama wrestle with here. Remember, when you're in control of a wrestling match, you should be working through the, the mindset that, you know, you shouldn't be wrestling in a way of, well, I know he's about to make a comeback. The idea should be that in that moment, you're trying to win the match. You're in complete control. You're dominating. You have them on the ropes, you know. So there should be an urgency to some degree. I know some people are different, but generally that should be the, the idea. And, uh, you know, he he captured that. The guillotine spot was awesome. They really had people biting on that as a false finish. Um, so he had the guillotine hooked, and Higuchi appeared to be out of it. Akiyama actually turned him over and went for a pin and got two, um, which I loved. Soon enough, Higuchi rallied, rallied with chops, and this was a perfect way of telling the story that, you know, was kind of at hand here. In response to the chops, Akiyama was like, he almost was refu refusing to concede 
Like, because he had a mental edge on Higuchi, he didn't want to, like, give that up. So when, when Higuchi's chopping him, he's, like, refusing to take a step back. But he's doing it. Like, by purely by the force of it, he's taking these little mini steps back and edging back towards the corner. And in a lot of ways, it felt like, you know, that kind of pride and defiance cost him in some ways. Um, my bad. <coughs> Allergies. Getting a shammy. Come on, come on. Here we go. I'm going to have a big sneeze in a minute. Be prepared. I'm going to move the microwave as quick as I can, but it's the thing that's happening. Um, listen to me, man. It's like a fucking oracle. My arm's all fucked up. I'm like, I'm on like the edge of a sneeze the last 20 minutes. This is horrible. Um, it's all hot here too. Why the fuck is Britain hot? Someone tell them to stop this shit, man. It's terrible. I can't even look out the window because my arm's fucked. Anyway, as I was saying... <laughs> The sheer defiance of Akiyama almost cost him because he, he was taking shots he didn't have to in the in the kind of urge to prove a point. Um, anyway, some big suplexes followed, a couple of big strong, you know, false finishes. Um, for a while there, late, you feel like Higuchi was merely surviving, and Akiyama was kind of throwing his big knees. And, um, you know, out of nowhere, Akiyama went up and he lariated him out of the air, did Higuchi, and scored the win. This was paced gorgeously. It was a 14-minute match that, like, was satisfying while also feeling like it was shorter than 14 minutes, which is not a long match for this quality. Um, like, a genuine, like, four-star match at 14 minutes, and it felt shorter than that. It fucking ruled. Um, big recommendation. Loved it. Yeah, the... Uh, the, the Eddie... Akiyama deal is a must. I think it's pretty clear we're getting it too. I mean, even sit on TV. Not that that really means anything because, you know, I think he's confident he's going to get it. Let's be honest. AWTV, fuck it, right? Just cut a promo, man. Do what you want. Um, which is a compliment, by the way. Match ruled. So that leaves the final. Yoshimura and Higuchi. So my description is not kind of captured already. Two powerhouses, you know, two, two brutes in there. Um, there were some wonderful touches on a presentation from a presentation point of view. Um, Higuchi's faction came out of him and they all gave him, the, him their like robes, their jackets, whatever. And he kind of carried them with him. Awesome. They locked horns, you know, the, the kind of the big brutish match and, and they went to work with chops and it was a battle of, of, um, of power early. And it, it certainly seemed like Yoshimura was better served in that department. Um, Higuchi still had those wonderful moments that were in the, the Akiyama match where he would kind of, you know, be defiant and fire back with chops. Uh, just in the nick of time too sometimes. Like, it felt like he was getting kind of overwhelmed. He'd fire back with one off the ropes. It was just awesome. The timing was so good. Um, so so that was tremendous. They eventually worked to kind of neutral and Higuchi finally got some momentum and it began to swing back and forth. And um, it was very much a match where I thought the ideas was secondary to, you know, the the action itself. I mean, I don't mean that as an insult. What I mean is I thought there was some nuance in terms of the way they told the Akiyama story to read, that really came through. This match, while it was clearly the best of the three matches, I thought, is very much one. You just really have to watch it. It's, it's pretty simple. They really hit each other very hard. Um, that's, you know, really what I what I think the, the, the art of the match is. They just whacked each other very, very hard, which fucking rules. So, um yeah, action very much speak for itself here. Spoke for itself here. The, everything just looks so good and so fucking physical. There was a superplex, and it was this is what I'm talking about with 
I refuse the idea of these uniform wrestling rules. I just, I've never been with it. Listen, is selling important? Yes. Of course. We always talk about it. Can a rightly, you know, correctly placed no sell be incredible? It can be one of the best things in wrestling, dude. If you do the no sell in the right spot, it can be just powerful. Here they did it on a fucking superplex. Higuchi just stood up and he was clearly in kind of a zombie state where he was kind of fucked up. But it was, it was a, you know, one of those moments of symbol. He was not taking it today. He was going to win this belt. It fucking ruled. Superplex no sell. They, they had this classic shootout late with the, the big chops in the back and forth and they really let things breathe and set and they were selling back and forth. Um, both guys were hitting each other so damn hard too, like outrageously so. Um, you know, and then so you kind of bring the pace to a to a halt, trading the big bombs, you get some lariats in there, and then the pace begins to go back up, you know, and there's a great moment. I mentioned the judo throw earlier, which is, again, seek it out, fucking amazing. I'm sure someone's gifted. Um, Yoshimura goes for the judo throw and Higuchi blocks it. And the audience reacts to that. And frankly, Yoshimura reacts to that in a way of like, it felt like the second that Higuchi broke through and was about to come champion. In reality, there was a couple more twists in the towel, but that's how it felt in the moment. The audience reacted like, oh, he's got it. He's got it now. Um, instead, it went back the other way. And they actually, the way they did it with um, Higuchi's big near fall not getting the job done, it kind of had that quality of, I don't know, man. It feels like it was his, if he's going to win, it feels like it was the finish, you know, which which added doubt to what was already kind of a, a dramatic situation in that sense. Um, so, so yeah, so it went back and forth. Um, Yoshimura hit the throw after all, and it went into kind of, you know, the big epic closing stretch. And I, I don't mean that as a slight. It was, it was awesome. It was fitting the way they did it too because it was more, rather than kind of, you know, sequences. It was, I mean, it was sequence, but it was more of them just sort of whacking each other and trading bombs, which... God bless. Um, I really liked how, in fact, the finish was with Higuchi. Listen, he may have been a, a kind of perennial loser in this spot, but he don't need a win with a fucking small package. If you're going to do it, do it right. And he won, in fact. Like he won with his finish. He's finished twice. Um, you know, and it was like, even though Yoshimura kicked out the first time, he ain't he ain't getting his own way here. He's going to hit that thing again and put it, you know, close the deal. So... It was great. You wouldn't be denied on this night. He was the champ. He immediately cried afterwards. His faction got in there and gave him a big hug. And it was like, you know, it had that great ingredient that I think the best title changes do where it felt real. Because in when wrestling's at its best, a lot of time it is real. Um, he hadn't won a wrestling match here, <clears throat> literally, but I'm sure the achievement, you know, and what it meant to his career was very real to, to him. And, and if you allow those emotions to be central, I think you can get some very powerful pro wrestling so um so yeah he you know you had that and then to put the final touches on it i mentioned earlier that akiyama a year ago made higuchi put the belt around him this time when it was time to put the belt around higuchi akiyama came out to, to no fan for walked out to the belt and put it around higuchi's waist to kind of complete that arc fucking awesome dude what a great piece of business we had a, a wonderful write-up about it on uh on wrestle purists um, which you should go and read, but I wanted to read, you know, to watch it myself after that. I saw a couple of clips just to kind of get an idea. Um, and it delivered, man. I loved all three matches. The, the, the final itself is the most kind of booming 
and like closest to, you know, must see if, if you want to, but all three are really good matches. So yeah, this was a great time. Um, all right. We've got a couple minutes here. I'm going to do some plugs and promotions because there's so much going on here at the world famous, um, late night grin. Uh, namely the fact that we have many shows. So I'm going to do that now before we get out of here. Again, in an hour, I'm going to be joining Jeremy and a couple other people. I believe SB3 is there uh, for Pillar to Post, which is kind of the Around the Horn style program, um, which is going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. So that's in an hour. Then, uh, uh, what else is going on? Uh, tonight, the 31 with Robert O'Neill is back in its usual form. Obviously, last week we had the marathon episode. This week it's back as, as usual as he, he interviewed Alex Palowski. Um, I've said it on a few shows, I'm going to say again here, I've heard some terrible rumours about what Bob intends to do on this show regarding myself and my own appearance on the programme, but hopefully they are false. Um, after that, at 7 Eastern, we are um, back with the Historical Oracle. I believe it's June 1996. Um, a pivotal time in the, in the Monday Night Wars, of course. Oracle armed with a new... Um, intro, a new uh, branding. In fact, let's do this. For those of you that stuck out this show about Raw and DDT, here we go. Look at this. Look at this, folks. Would you just look at that, huh? Incredible. Alex McCarthy has pulled out and been replaced by Connor Casey. What a piece of shit he turned out to be. Fucking coward. Um, so, Historical Oracle is back tonight. Tomorrow, and I mean this with all love to you guys. You're all wonderful. But tomorrow, you should hopefully only see me at this time slot because I, I think I need to take tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to do the Burt. I'm going to go to Top Gun Maverick. I'm probably going to eat a fucking KFC, and you shouldn't hear from me. So that's tomorrow. Message to all people involved in professional wrestling. Do not make news tomorrow. I do not want to talk about anything tomorrow. Let me do the burp. Let me talk about uh, whatever the fuck we're talking about tomorrow. And then I would like to enjoy Top Gun Maverick in peace. So that's tomorrow. Um, Thursday, Jay Shell is back. We're going to do a special show um, in which we build our perfect promotion. Can we coexist in that setting? That's going to be like a fun kind of one-off um, to bring Jay Shell back, and then Friday she'll be back for a tie the ranking. So there's a lot going on. Also, <laughs> this is another thing before I go. This uh, Tomorrow, while I will not be doing anything live, you guys, the patrons, will get early access to audio for the very first LNG main event. Well, what is LNG main event? We explain it on the show, but basically it's a Saturday program, pre-tape program on Saturday, 6.05 Eastern, where we just watch one match, shoot and I. Um, it's a really good time. We've got a couple in the can. Um, I think you guys will really like it. It's just a nice kind of 40 minutes of, of, com of content. Um, that will post on Saturdays, but you guys will get the audio on Wednesday. So if you want to sync up and watch the matches that way, you can do so. If you want to, uh, you know, if you want to just wait for the video, you can do so. That's, that's another thing's happening. There's a lot going on. I've definitely forgot stuff. I appreciate you guys. I hope you enjoyed this show. Um, uh, what else? What else is happening? Oh, yeah. 
No, nothing else. Pillar of Post. I'm going to go, like, take some gimmicks. I don't mean drugs either. I mean, like, I'm going to try and figure out why my allergies are so bad. I'm also going to try and figure out why my arm doesn't work anymore. But in the meantime, enjoy the new outro. Thank you.